Amen. Well, thank you for uh, your praise and worship this morning. We're excited. Uh, this is a, a, a part two of a series called Raise Them Up. And uh, whoop, oh, there we go. The TV's not working. Uh, let's, I think, let's, I'm going to need the TV. Is it going to get some help with that? Am I missing something? There it is. Oh, sweet. Awesome, because these are my notes. Uh, <laughs> I don't get anything else. Uh, anyway, so they're raising me up up there. These guys do a great job. We have an awesome tech team. You should thank them. Yeah, give them a hand. Uh, it got, a lot goes in to making every service happen, and they're doing a great job. We are, uh, are in this series called Raise Them Up. It's about uh, lifting up the people around you and supporting those around us. Um, Pastor Joel spoke last week about mentoring and, and lifting people up. If you remember the hats, uh, hats idea, go back and check that out. It's a great, uh, great message. But elevating the potential of those around us. We've just celebrated with grads, and we're, we're excited about their potential, and we prayed for them. We want to raise them up, and we've been raising them up, and, and we want to continue to do that. But as part of a church community, we want to raise up those within our community. But what about, what about the hurting people? What about the people that are, uh, are struggling and in need? And may, what about the people who just, who don't know? When Jordan was up here and, and just preaching his heart, I love, I love hearing Jordan speak and he gets very impassioned and excited. It gets me pumped up to see teenagers excited about Jesus. And, and yeah, amen. He does a great job. But what about the people who aren't, who don't get that, who don't know that, who haven't heard that message just yet, and don't under, don't understand at all the hope that we have, the the peace that we have, the joy that we have that defines us and that that resonates in us, because there's a lot of people hurting in this world, and most of them are not are not listening. And that should concern us, and it does concern us. In fact, I want to say before I begin uh, talking today that this message is, is meant to be a, an affirmation of Moncton Wesley, and I am very proud of what I've witnessed here as part of this church, being a church that is so uh, loving and supportive. I've been, uh, it's been a hallmark of my whole five years here, I've noticed how welcoming this church is to those in need and those struggling. I love our programs like CR that, that intentionally invest in people who have needs. And we all, because we all do, we've all been there and we all will be there someday in our lives. And so I, I really want to say that as much as we are, are talking about how we can love people and raise up people, this is an affirmation because you're doing it and you're doing it well. Um, but we can always do better, amen? We can always do more and we can always follow God's will. So what about raising up the hurting people? that God will place in your path. What, what, what do we do? And, and I want to tell you this morning that I've got nothing new. In fact, my message is pretty cliche. Uh, in fact, it's, you're going to say, well, like, Drew, you didn't tell us anything we didn't know. In fact, that's part of the point. I've got nothing new to share with you. In Ecclesiastes, say, there's nothing new under the sun. A lot of the truth, and I find a lot of time when someone says something profound and true, I realize oh, it's already in the Bible anyway, right? If, and, and sometimes uh, when people share profound thoughts, I go, yeah, Jesus said that already. And, and here's the thing. This is a message that every one of you will go, yeah, I, I get it. My hope is, though, that it will become a little less cliche today, that we'll become excited about it and maybe renew our enthusiasm. See, a cliche, it's a trite or overused expression or idea. And uh, that happens. We use things too much, 
right? You, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of Christian phrases. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of just common phrases that we use too much. Things like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Uh, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You can't judge a book by its cover. Or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I, think I could think of a few songs like that. Anyway, love is blind. I like to add in our dating series of students, love is blind, deaf, and dumb, okay? Because... <laughs> It is. Uh, Ignorance is bliss. Definitely don't want to confuse those two, right? Anyway, the idea being that we we say things sometimes so much. In fact, I will use a few, I guarantee you, this morning that I that I don't even think about, that just come off, they roll off the tongue. You say them all the time, we hear them all the time. But here's a few cliches you might want to avoid, like the plague. Uh, For example, that was a cliche. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that one? Uh, yes, he will. <laughs> in fact, God is in the business of giving you more than you can handle because he wants you to utterly rely on him and rest in his strength and trust in him. Amen? So he will give you more than you can handle, but he will be the strength that gets you through. God helps those who help themselves. If God helps those who help themselves, uh, we would be done for. If, if he didn't give us grace when we didn't deserve it, if he didn't die for us when we were still sinners, then oh, where would we be? When God closes the door, he opens a window. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Um, but you know, some of these things can be a little bit confusing, right? Or, or everything happens for a reason. So, yeah, well, that might be true, but sometimes that reason is the selfishness and sinfulness of our neighbor or our person or someone who did something. So let's be careful of cliches that that maybe send a bad message. But this morning, I want to talk to you about cliches that can be profound cliches, things in our lives that we don't want to let become trite or overused. We want them to maintain their power. And the message this morning is about a cliche that we don't want to let become just another saying or just another thing, but become a part of our DNA, part of who we are. Because our, our Bible story this morning has become a bit of a cliche. Let me read it for you. You can follow along in Luke chapter 10. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if, you, if you're wondering why it's a little different than maybe the NIV that you're used to. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two verses, or these two commandments, Jesus said, sum up the law of, of, of Moses and sum up all the, 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 really the heart of what the Bible is all about. So Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so here's the big question, that who's my neighbor? Because if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who does that mean? And so Jesus tells a story, you may have heard it before. He replies with the story, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then, 
a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Not sure how that would feel on a wound, but hey. (laughs) And bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn, to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Jesus says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So the story of a good Samaritan, is it not a cliche to call someone a good Samaritan? right? So here's the thing. We have great news for hurting people. In fact, we, we know everyone who is a follower of Jesus know that he offers us peace. He offers us hope. He offers us victory over sin and grace, and he gives us strength and joy. But people, unfortunately, aren't listening. We live in a day and age uh, we, we're calling, uh, and people are calling post-Christendom, We no longer live in a world where people grow up with the knowledge and understanding or an experience of church and of Jesus. They don't know the, in fact, we live in a world now that doesn't know what John 3.16 is. I read a story recently where someone was at a football game with John 3.16 and people were saying, what is your banner all about? I have no idea, which is great opportunity, of course. But the thing is, we no longer live in a world where people understand without explanation. You can't assume anymore that people know what you're talking about, even if Jesus might just seem like another swear word to people. We live in an age where people aren't hearing the message and they don't know. They're not coming seeking after it. It may be like they used to. And so I, I think it's an important message for today to understand that for hurting people, we have great news but how do we get them to, to listen up? How do we get their attention? How do, we, how do we have this message shared with them? If they're not coming to our churches, if they're not in a, a, a and, and yes, people do come to church, but often it's after something very important, after the, the, the lesson that we learn in this story. See, people are gonna listen when our actions line up with our words, right? You can see the cliche coming. The cliche truth this morning is that actions speak louder than words. Now, words are important. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying actions only. I'm saying actions, though, are very critical. In fact, I, I love this quote from Winston Churchill. He says, I no longer listen to what people say. I just watch what they do. Behavior never lies. Well said, right? Behavior never lies. And how we act, and, and you've, you heard the story. There were, there were some actions by the, the, the priest and the temple assistant that we, we, we kind of cringe at and go, oh, how could they just walk by? Because, um, you know, in the story, Jesus is talking to this religious elite expert, and he, he's, he's kind of saying, like, re- religiosity and this religion, you know, these religious people, they didn't do the right thing. It was the despised Samaritan who did, and he wants us to be like that. So it was, it, I love this idea that actions speak loud in words, but what about this? Better yet, you know this one? People don't, do you know it? Care. care how much you know until they 
how much you care, right? I, I love that phrase, as, as cliche as it is, you've probably heard it, I wasn't very, I wasn't a lot, most, how many have heard that before? Like at least a few times. I, I've heard it, I used to say it all the time, and I believe it's the truth that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Would you agree that, that people need to see in our lives the transformation that we preach about. They need to see the passion and the enthusiasm and the excitement. They need to see the hope, the victory. They need to see the change in us that we preach about and that we, that we claim to have that the church, uh, that the Bible claims to have. Even if you're not vocal about it, you're part of a community that is vocal about it. And so when, when the thing is, when those two things line up, when people see lives that are lived out as an expression of the joy and the hope that, that God has placed in our lives, when they see us living in victory over sin and death, and they, they see that, we, that we, are really, we really believe and live out what we're talking about, they look at us and go, that's, that's, that's different. That's unique. Well, that's special. There's something to that. And then, only then do our words carry meaning and power and weight. Your testimony will become incredibly meaningful to the person who sees you every day living, out, living it out. There's a story uh, um, about missionaries who went to a tribe of people who were, who were quite dangerous. And uh, a lot of people didn't survive when they went there. And what happened was, uh, over a period of years, the, the, the people of this tribe slowly poisoned the missionaries without their knowledge and their food. And over the years, as they, as they began to die and suffer incredible pain and agony and die, the tribe was converted and, and the tribe found hope. And later, when they admitted what had happened and what they told them, when they told them what happened, they said, we did, not, we did not come to Jesus because of your words, we came to Jesus because we watched how you dealt with and handled death. And that brought us hope. And that showed the truth of your words. What a powerful message that our actions speak louder than our words. And so I believe that if we want people, if we want to raise people up, the hurting, then we need to earn the right to speak into their lives the truth of our testimony. If we want to raise up the hurting people around us, we need to, we need to get to that place where we have the, the relationship, the, the genuine relationship with them that says, I, I have something to share with you, and this is, this is evidenced in my life. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Thank you, Shirley. It's not a, is it not a cliche to call someone a good Samaritan? I don't know about you, but I would love to have that label. I want to be like this person. And so we're going to look at what was, was unique about this individual. Um, there's a reason, obviously, that Jesus uh, explains it's the Samaritan. We'll get to that. But Jesus knew that to raise people up with our message, we need to raise them up with our actions. And so this guy did more than, than actions. But I want to tell you that, that it's costly. Raising people up will cost you something. Helping the hurting people around you will cost you something. We know there is no lack of hurting people around us, and it's going to cost you. I've spent weeks and weeks in New York City, and I know the students who've gone with me on mission trips to New York City know how hard it is sometimes to just see so many hurting people, and many times to feel like we're so helpless to, to do very much. But 
it costs us something. In fact, it, it, that trip, what, part of it was raising all of the support and the finances and preparation and hard work so that we could go and just make a small impact or have some encouragement. And, and we knew that in order to speak to someone about Jesus, we first had to show them that we cared and we would do that with small packages and uh, 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 we'd call them hygiene packs and we'd give them gifts and, or, or we would just try to relate and have a conversation with someone, connect with them on a human level and just say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in you as a person and I, you know, I wanna talk with you, I wanna, I wanna connect with you. Before we would start you know, trying to teach, we would earn that right a little bit. Loving our neighbor though, it's inconvenient. The neighbor that, that Jesus is talking about, it, it's going to require some self-denial. And I don't know about you, but this is not a characteristic that I see as a common cultural value anymore. And I'm a little bit concerned because I see, and obviously in the church, it, this is something we have to grab hold of, the self-denial and, and even embracing the inconvenience of loving others has to become part of our DNA. And I love, again, this is an affirmation of Moncton Wesleyan. I love that that is part of the DNA of this church. And so this kind of thing, though, this, this, this inconvenience and this self-denial is something we typically reserve for our family and our loved ones. We will do that. Very, you know, very often we will uh, do things for people we love and care about. And, but this story takes it so much further it's the despised Samaritan caring for the enemy, the Jewish man who was beaten up on the side of the road. And so this morning, I want to talk about counting the cost. What's it going to cost? What will it cost us to be people like the Good Samaritan, to be people whose actions speak volumes to the hurting people in the world so that they will want to know the testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives so that we can share the great and good news of, of hope that we have. First, it's going to take compassion. It's going to take compassion. Raising up the hurting requires us to be like this. Then the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. A simple thing like love for our fellow brothers and sisters around us, the people that we come face to face with. It may seem like a small thing, but it's a big deal. You notice the priest and the temple assistant doesn't say anything about their compassion. Obviously, had they had compassion, I think the story would be different because compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied, this is where, right? Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. This is a dictionary definition. I would say, biblically, it means accompanied by actions that, that make a difference, right? When we do something, it's not just feeling the sorrow, but doing something about it. And so that's what compassion is. But Jesus, our, our savior, our leader, our, our mentor, if you will, the, the, our, our rabbi that we follow can be defined by compassion. A simple search of scriptures finds Jesus to be filled with compassion. He is sometimes called the father of compassion. The Bible speaks clearly. In, in fact, Jesus was so compassionate that sometimes when he was teaching and someone would, you know, the story of the, the men bringing the, uh, the paraplegic on the mat and lowering him through the roof, if you, a, a great story. You know, Jesus was 
teaching. He had, a, he had an agenda. He had things to do. He was busy. And this was a bit of a distraction as they broke through the roof in front of him while he's teaching. I can't imagine if somebody started chopping through the roof while I'm preaching. It would be quite distracting. The thing is, the Bible says he had compassion on the man, that he loved him enough to say, you know what, what I'm doing, let's, let's just stop for a minute. This is important. And he took care of it. And he used it, in fact, in a great teaching way as well. But if, if this is part of Jesus, if this is a definition of Jesus, then it must be a definition and it must define our church and it should be part of our DNA. Again, I believe it is, but let's keep that so centered and strong. See, Paul appeals to us in Philippians. I love this verse. And, it, and he says, based on Christ's compassion, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So if you have, I mean, if any of this is true, which I, I know it is, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That means let's be like Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? This, the, be, be people who will... Uh, be, even be inconvenienced for others and deny ourselves sometimes. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't promote ourselves, but lift those up around us but, or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. I mean, that he's taking the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, which kind of puts us on par. And he's saying, no, no, consider them even better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is saying, if you've, if you've connected with Christ, if he has changed your life, then be like him. This is what Christ was like. He cared for people. It took him, he, he took every opportunity to lift people up. Compassion is Christ-like. If you uh, want to be like Christ, then we need to seek a heart of compassion. The number one way I know to, to, to have that is to pray for it and ask God to bless me with compassion for those around me. I constantly am praying, God, fill me with your heart, with compassion, to see people the way you do. Because when people see the genuine compassion in us, they're going to listen to our wise and godly counsel. They're gonna be more interested in what we have to say. So that's number one. Number two is openness. You notice these spell out cost, if you want to remember. Cost, start with, um, first with our compassion and our openness. Openness, opening our lives to people around us is going to be a requirement for us. It's going to be an investment of our time and our energy, but it's also going to require some openness. Verse 34 says, going over to him. The Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He, he went to, them, to this man who, who should have been an enemy, who should have been someone he would have ignored, but he did not. He had compassion, and he was open to a connection with someone that was different than himself. See, he was willing to make physical contact where I believe you might even be able to say that the, uh, the priest or the temple assistant, you could say they had a good excuse. What if this man was dead and they touched them, they'd be unclean, and, and then maybe they couldn't perform their sacred duties, and, and it might have messed up everything they were trying to do. And, and so you could, you could rationalize what they maybe were thinking, but this man didn't care about those things. He risked a relationship. 
He was open to this genuine relationship with this other human being, regardless of the cultural boundaries that would be around him. See, it's pretty obvious uh, when we think about it. These guys didn't, didn't like each other, obviously. The, Jesus pointed that out. But openness means letting people into our lives. Openness is about living open lives without cultural boundaries that hinder it. There's a story about an officer, a police officer named Tori Matthews, who was on her way to a call at a home about a drowning victim. And as she arrived at the home, she quickly realized this was not a typical police call. She went to the backyard, to the pool. She realized it was not a human being drowning in the pool that had been drowned. It was an iguana. <laughs> the family pet had fallen into the pool and was not breathing. So uh, as you do, she decided, well, you give CPR to a human, why not to an iguana? And she proceeded to uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitate this lizard. And later on was, said it was an ugly thing to be kissing, but I wanted to do everything I could to help. The iguana made a full recovery. Great, right? So, <laughs> good news. The thing is, she was willing to cross some pretty radical boundaries in order to help someone uh, in need. And so my, my, my point is it's simple, right? That we need to be willing to cross some boundaries, maybe some boundaries that, that are difficult for us. Matthew 5, 16 in the message, I love the way they phrase this in that paraphrase. It says, keep open house, be generous with your lives. Should we not be people and a church defined by our open relationship and our generous lives? See, the Jews and the, and, and the Samaritans, we know they despise each other. It's a lot, like we can get into the history of it, but suffice it to say, they didn't get along. They both thought they were God's chosen people. There was a little bit of arguing over that. It's kind of like this, right? <laughs> this is what I think. You know, maybe, maybe not quite so severe, but a modern equivalent, right? Any Habs fans? Uh, they're not even, oh, I guess not. Any Bruins fans? Okay, sorry about the you know, Stanley Cup. Anyway, um, my sister's a massive Bruins fan. The point is, like, this might seem like a small thing, but I've seen, I've seen some pretty serious hate going on. Have you? Not, the, not just these two teams, but, uh, you know, uh, but openness is going to require us to kind of run past some of that hate that runs deep. And let go of some of those things that, that can create boundaries in our relationships. That's a fun one, but maybe there's a language barrier. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, a gender issue, or maybe it's uh, just a sin issue, or, or something you disagree with. There are all kinds of barriers that, we, that come up. Maybe it's an economic barrier that you just, you just don't have a lot in common. It could just be interests, whatever the barriers are, though. Um, they... We need to learn to remove those barriers and help those around us. This legal expert couldn't even say the Samaritan. When Jesus asked him who did the right thing, he, he kind of said the one who showed mercy because he couldn't bring himself to admit that the Samaritan did the right thing. Letting go of cultural boundaries is going to be difficult, but it's going to require a genuine acceptance of this cost to raise people up. Dale Carnegie in How to Win Friends and Influence People says, to be genuinely interested in other people is a most important quality for a salesperson to possess, for any person for that matter. And remember, if we want to have an influence on in those around us, if we want people to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is our testimony and our, our passion, 
then it's going to start with genuine interest beyond cultural boundaries and differences. And so openness, that equals influence. If you can be open and invite people into real relationship, then we are going to create space to build those genuine relationships. If we will take the time, it's gonna require some effort. And the next one, it requires us to share. We're gonna have to share some stuff. Way back to kindergarten, right? With lessons we learned in the sandbox or didn't learn. <laughs> I don't know. It's a hard thing to teach children to share. And we, but it's something I'm very, very passionate about teaching our children and I'm proud to say that they share very well and it, because sharing is such a critical thing when it comes to caring for people. It's gonna cost you valuable resources to, to, to go this way with people. If you want to take care of someone, if you wanna help someone who's hurting, you're going to have to give something up, something that you've planned for something else, something that you had allocated in another way. Uh, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. I don't know what they cost, but bandages, did he even carry bandages? Did he, did he rip up his clothes? We don't know, but the point is he gave up things. He put the man on his own donkey. It means he had to walk, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. Um, it's inconvenient to help people. It's, it's going to inconvenience us sometimes. Uh, it's just not always going to be easy. It might cost you your clothes. It might cost you your comfort. It might even cost you some friends, this relationship. Maybe, maybe people saw him caring for a Jewish man and said, how could you do such a thing? How could you, do, how could you help that guy? Culturally, it was inappropriate, but he did it anyway. Verse 35 says that he gave the innkeeper two silver coins. That's two denarii uh, that we read about in, in another translation. It says, and according to the New Bible Dictionary, that was a day's wage. It's a lot of money. And it says he was willing to pay whatever it took to get this man. Well, he said, if it costs more, I'll come back and pay you if it takes any more than this. This guy was invested and he was sharing of his wealth. He was sharing. We don't know how wealthy he was, but he shared but what if we built, what if we did this? What if we built intentional room in our lives and our budgets to share with those people in need? Not just charities, which are awesome, but money, like literally, a, a, what if we set aside a fund or an account just to say, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to have this few hundred dollars here or whatever to be ready to help the person that God puts in my path that I come across is hurting and in need. How cool would that be? How, what a testimony to the actions that would be behind our faith. Sharing, it, it's, it's a commitment. It's going to cost you something. And, and, and I know you can't help everyone. I was in Tijuana, Mexico with my family when I was 17, and I'll never, ever forget it. It was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life. As we were walking to the border crossing, going back into the United States, um, my dad, who is... Uh, just a softy and, uh, and, and, and loves people more than anyone I've ever met. And he saw a little child came up with his hands out looking for money. Um, in a very poor area, my dad quickly reached out and gave him something. What my dad didn't expect was that the hundreds of other kids in the area suddenly saw a guy giving away money. And we were swarmed. Instantly, so many children just, I don't know where they all came from. There was like nobody around. And then we were swarmed because they knew there was someone willing to give. And, and my dad was in tears as we crossed over the border because he couldn't help them all. And it broke his heart. And I remember so distinctly, and I was so proud of my dad in that moment because it was a big deal to him. 
He cared and he would have given every cent. I'm, I'm sure he gave everything he had on him to those children. And it's hard when we can't help everybody, but we can help someone. And God will give you a clear direction. And we're going to pray about that in a few minutes. That God will give you a clear direction on who it is that he is putting in your path as you're going through your life. Who is it that you need to share with, that you need to help? And the last one, and this is quick and easy because I'm sure you figured it out. It's going to take some time. It's going to cost you some time. And honestly, time just might be the most valuable thing that we have to give. The Samaritan was on a journey. He had a real destination. He had a real purpose. I'm sure he had good excuses. He had every reason not to get involved here, but he did. And he cared enough. He said, I'm going to do something. He took the man to the inn and took care of him. And verse 35 says, the next day. He spent at least a day with this man. And who knows how much more. He gave up a significant amount of time. And he sacrificed his time for this man to show that he cared. When really, you know, hadn't he done enough already? You know, did he really have to go this extra mile and this extra step? But he did. And Jesus tells us this story, I think, for a reason. What if we built intentional time into our lives to help those in need? We're we're so busy, are we not? I know I am. Swamped with things to do and places to be. And and we get from point A to point B so fast today with cars. And we live in our little bubbles. Like, this is only recent, right? It's only in the last, I don't know, how long cars have been around? 150 years? I don't know. That's too much. I don't know. Cars haven't been around that long. But the point is... We're enclosed, we, we don't travel openly in community like, like they used to. What if we built time, we, we, just, we, we can bypass these relationships if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, right? And again, I affirm that this church makes a point of being intentional about seeking ways to do these things. Your time is valuable. It's one of the greatest gifts you can ever give to any human being. I heard it said once that the most important person in your life is the one standing right in front of you. And, and it, at first I thought, well, I don't, know if, I don't know if I agree with that, but I thought about it. And I, what they're saying is that when someone's right in front of you, give them your best. Give them all of you, at, at least for that time and that moment. And so when God places someone in your path that's hurting and in need, then, then there's going to be an opportunity. Simple things like not staring at my watch or checking the time, reading my text, like giving attention and, and time. It's such a valuable resources. Spending real time with someone is, is such a gift. And so imagine the impact. Imagine the impact in our communities, in our world. If they saw a church and they do, and you're, you're doing this, you're doing this because I've already seen in my five years here, I've seen a shift in what the community is saying about Moncton Wesleyan. And I think it's going to continue. I love what we're doing as a church because we're showing people compassion. There are groups that love, uh, love my city and everything that's going on with how we are part of the community and the small groups and what they're doing. We're showing compassion. We're opening ourselves up to people. Uh, we invite people here, but we go out to them. We're sharing we're sharing with people. We're having open relationships and we're, we're, we're crossing cultural boundaries and we're giving our time. It's a priority and I love it. This stuff, imagine the impact that the Samaritan had on this Jewish man 
He would never forget the man who saved his life and changed his life forever. If you want to have an impact on those around you, if you want to raise people up around you, then it's going to cost you something valuable. But man, is it going to be worth it? It'll open the opportunity. You'll be able to direct people toward Jesus when they see the actions of your life. We can offer people the truth that will change and transform their lives, but it will come through how we live it out. It'll come by our actions. You know, I'll end with this. Today, have you noticed how kindness and good deeds are newsworthy? If someone does something kind, it's big news. If someone does something selfless or costly, if someone shares, if someone's compassionate, if someone does these things, it, the people are like, whoa, this is unique and different and special. It should be shared. I know obviously a lot of the news is, is the opposite, but, but it's a big deal. And I've noticed a lot of news stories and things about people just doing kind things. So there's two sides of that. It's, it's, it's sad that it, that that kindness is so rare that it's become newsworthy, but it's also an amazing opportunity the church has to show, to show our theology, our beliefs, our faith, our Jesus by the things that we do to the world around us. A simple kind word, just breathing life with your words to people around you can transform a life. Let's be, let's be cliche Christians. Let's be Samaritans, good Samaritans, and show the radical difference that Christ can make in us. I'm gonna ask you if you would stand as we close this morning. And we're gonna pray and standing, it just helps us to kind of wake up a little bit. And, and I'm gonna ask you to, to quiet your hearts. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and we're going to pray real quick. I'm going to give you a moment just as Joel did last week. I want to ask you to ask God to bring to mind someone in your life, someone in your life that, that possibly God has put in your path that's beaten up. They're on the side of the road and people are walking past them and, and God's saying, you know what? I want you to be the person who stops and picks them up. It's going to cost you something but I am your provider and I will be there with you. And so I'm gonna ask as we just have a moment of silent prayer, would you ask God to reveal to you someone in need in your life that you could lift up and raise up? Father, we pause now and we lift you up on high and we thank you for your son, Jesus, who was the first and best example of this great compassion. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for this incredible gift. May we be like you. May we be like-minded. May, may it be part of our DNA, God. And as we pause now, please bring to mind that person or persons that, that maybe we can have an impact on through our actions. What can we do, God? Speak to us now. And God, as we imagine moving forward in, in this opportunity. We pray that you would create divine appointments and opportunities for us to cross paths, for us to connect, and, and even wisdom on how to help out in these ways, God. And may we, 
May we see the impact of your truth and your word on their lives as we grow in relationship, as we count the cost, God. May you be high and lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.